try really hard not to discriminate here so uh it's probably not fair that you know that steve and louise are away when um the rest of you are away we don't make any announcements so we will be starting up a new list for those of you who want your um your absence noted from the front um <laughs> and with the reason as well so if bethany's had a bethany's had a big night well um <laughs> uh, you can add that to the list or you know yeah um so we'll, we'll, we'll start up a new, a new uh, little list there that you can put your name and email address on. You can just kind of fill us in as we go along, even if you're just going to be late and would like to let us know that stuck in traffic on the M55, which I'm pretty sure is in England, so you're probably going to be quite late. Um, or, you know, um, or if, you know, you just overslept or didn't, um, didn't really feel like um, singing this morning as well, you can probably just f- fill us in on that and we'll make that announcement, which would be good. Uh, very cool. Um, <laughs> that we have some table distribution issues this morning as usual um, our one at the back's gone like a tumour so it'd be good if um, during, the, during the break we could spread that out a little bit um, we're doing a series on community at the moment and one of the things that Steve thought would be a cool idea would be to sort of just talk about um, positive community experiences in church life and just get someone each week to uh, just to kind of speak to that because one of the things we realise is that we are a diverse community we're a community of a whole bunch of different people with different stories who have come together and for some people your uh, church um, community experience and even just the word community in church inspires great hope and joy and depth of feeling and warmness and hugs and all of those kind of things and your church experience has been just beautiful and amazing and incredible uh, and for others of you uh, it um, raises the word community raises anxiety and fear and or a, a horror show and you start having like Vietnam like flashbacks uh, to what church community might have been like and for others of you um, which is probably my story it's a beautiful tapestry of golden threads and poop um, where there's just these amazing brilliant bits and then these like quite tra- quite traumatic bits but so what we thought we'd do is uh, we just get people to um to talk about their experience of church community particularly in a positive light because um it's easy to forget the incredible beauty uh that can happen in church life so we've got mr tom is um, going to come and chat to us a little bit about some of his journey which are really cool why don't we give me give my hand this is tom gibbs ladies and gentlemen tom gibbs great cool um so i um, yeah, I was just kind of reminiscing on all my uh, sort of church and community experiences, and I've realized that there's been a big span of lots of crazy kind of little communities. Um, I grew up in the Salvation Army um, and, you know, went to all these big penguin suit events uh, where all these big salvos come together and um, and this massive sense of belonging. And then I've uh, been to kind of more parts of the Salvation Army that serve the homeless and just really had these incredible experiences of celebrating God's love and how that transforms. And also, um, yeah, just uh, other other churches where started to really explore the presence of God and like how that can almost shift things in a supernatural way in your heart and physically and um, and also uh, just through little communities and things like that. But the thing I wanted to kind of zone in on is legacy. 
um, kind of being born into the Salvation Army, uh, my grandparents were in a position of pretty high influence as commissioners of the Salvation Army. Um, and when you just just living in there, I've all, like growing up in there, I've always felt this incredible sense of belonging. Um, but more than that, I felt as though I've been adopted into a story that's far bigger than my life. Um, so as, you know, I co- go to these big kind of um, gatherings of uh, Salvation Armies from all around Australia, which like the Salvation Army people love to do, um, there's just been this sense of identity and purpose and legacy and um, as though there's an older generation that's leaving a deposit. Um, so it's like my life has been a continuation of the stories that were championed by great people. Um, and I almost feel as though I, um, I'm almost out of that. My role is to be like the ink to the words that were already written by my ancestors. Um, so for me, a big champion of that has been my grandmother. Um, and actually, when I was... Two years old, uh, my grandmother used to uh, look at me and say to my mum, he's going to be an artist, um, which I, has been incredible, incredibly foundational for me. But um, we just grew this incredible bond and affinity kind of uh, towards each other. But for me, I, I, um, I've, as, as an artist, my, I've got a studio just up there, just for anyone who doesn't know, um, and my obsession is w- with beauty, uh, and in particular, beauty that points beyond itself, that awakens our longing for something, something of the other, something of the kingdom. Um, and I, as I've kind of been exploring that sentiment, I've just, I've heard my grandmother's echo of the sermons that she used to preach all through uh, the country, just saying, I see the beauty of a living God in every living thing. Um, and yeah, as a Christian, my ideas or convictions are not new, but I stand in the shoulders of people who have dedicated their lives to the things I'm only just encountering as a child, like... Um, like right now, uh, we as a church are able to sit in this church uh, because of the deposit that took place over a hundred years ago when it was founded. Um, and I think that's something as a church that uh, we can often forget about, and I often forget about. Um, I, I see this community as quite a young community, and sometimes I see it as this two-year-old community. Uh, but really, it has an incredible deposit uh, with which we can stand on those shoulders and draw from, which is incredibly exciting. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's been a huge fundamentally important uh, kind of experience for me growing up and um, finding my identity entrenched in the history of the church. And so when I encounter a church, I'm adopted into the rich history and legacy of my new ancestors. Um, I have the resource and can walk in the harvest of great people who I can guarantee have walked where I now stand. That's really beautiful. Thanks a ton. Um, this morning, I'm going to start with an apology. Uh, we, this morning, we're not going
going to uh, make any major decisions or, uh, and we're not going to necessarily answer a whole lot of questions. But we are, however, going to do something incredibly complex, uh, which is thinking about thinking. And I know that for some of you who uh, really were hoping that this morning we wouldn't have to think, uh, I have done one worse, and I'm going to try and make you think about thinking, which is, I know, it's cruel, it's torturous, it's not what you probably planned for your Sunday morning, um, don't worry, it'll all be over soon. But I think it's really beneficial, uh, not, I think it's beneficial to think, and we definitely encourage thinking here, but I also think it's inc- incredibly beneficial to think about how we think, or think about the way we think about things. So we're doing a longer series on community, and one of the dynamics of this community here is that we have a few people who have been here for a very, very, very long time, like black and white television kind of long time. And then we've got um, lots of people who have been here for a very, very short amount of time. It's always really funny when um, people come along for their first week and are greeted by other people who are also here for their first week. And it produces some really beautiful friendships. But it's also really funny when people are along here for their first week and no one talks to them because just about everyone else is here for their first week also. So there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's some dynamics. And so as a both old and young community, uh, we have to kind of forge a way forward and think very carefully about how we kind of bind ourselves together and then how we actually function and what we do as a church. And I love the fact that we've got um, some voices in this place that are leaving a, that have left a legacy that have gone before us, some that are, are still investing in and have the wisdom and experience of years and know this place better than um, those of us who are newcomers. I'm a relative newcomer myself. And I also love the fact that we've got this kind of like fresh dynamic thing going on. I sometimes try and think about what our church is like, and I think the best way of getting a picture of it is to go to Peter Monte's, which is a supermarket up there, which is weird for starters, which I think is a great reflection of our church. Bunch of weirdos. Um, But it's just this like strange collective of like young and old and um, incredibly straight and then very um, expressive and different. And it's just this like mishmash. And you can kind of see um, in the shopping experience how kind of North Fitzroy kind of meshes together. And I think our church is a pretty good reflection of that. And so I just wanted to start by telling you that we really value you. We really value what you've got to bring to this place. Um, if you've been around a long time, we love and appreciate the hard yards that you've put in, um, the sacrifices that you've made to make this place a place of welcome for those of us who are new. And if you're brand new here and are um, participating in this community, we um, would love to hear your story over time. It's going to take a long time to hear all of our stories, but it's really um, awesome having you here, and we appreciate what you bring, um, something fresh and dynamic and new, but also that you bring the legacy of your own story as well, which is kind of cool. Um, When we were discussing community as a preaching team, uh, Rod, some of you uh, know Rod, he uh, spoke last last week, kept on dropping this quote, which has stuck with me and I've thought about a heck of a lot. And the quote is from a guy called Robert Banks. Um, And Robert Banks, I had no idea who he was. I thought initially it might be um, the the dad from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but it's not. That's Philip Philip Banks. And and, um, I don't know that Philip Banks was that into church planting, but um, Robert Banks, however, is. And he, um, Rod, Rod heard him speak once, and he came away with this quote here. When planting a church, meet together for a meal once a week, 
after a year, work out whether anything else needs to be added. When planning a church, meet together for a meal once a week, and after, after a year, work out whether anything else needs to be added. And it's this interesting idea that what is central to us as Christians is gathering as the body of Christ around the meal that celebrates God's action in history. And that at its simplest form, all we really need is to gather together and place Christ at the center. And I think about that concept, and then I marry it together with some of my church legacy and my history, where I've participated in communities with eight trillion things going on. And you can look at that and think, man, that sounds terrible. But there's incredible beauty in that as well, of all the needs being met, um, of all the opportunities that people have got to participate in organized community, of the way that churches can intentionally um, start programs and do different things to reach people that they otherwise wouldn't have contact with. And so as a church community, as we're kind of like forging the way forward, what we're trying to work out is, what do we do with this mess that we've got? What do we let happen organically? What do we attempt to organize? Where do we place our priorities and our focus? How, how do we approach needs in this church? How do we engage with the world outside this gathered community? And all of these questions are pretty formational for what happens over the next kind of um, 10, 20, 30 years. We're just going to flick quickly to Acts 2, verse 42. I'd love to have Richie Benno read this. Uh, there are spare Bibles on the um, abandoned table up there, which Nicola is happy to deliver to you because um, they're her responsibility if, you, if you'd like to raise your hand and you need a Bible. Uh, some of you find it incredibly confusing to read. I, I don't usually read along because it's usually a different translation and um, not that helpful. But I could read from one of these. Would that help? Profuse nodding. Yes. Uh, if you don't know where X2 is, you can um, ask someone else and they may not know. But if they don't, at least you'll be together. Uh, so it's talking, this is Acts, um, written by a guy called Luke, who was a doctor, but he wrote, um, he had a large interest in history and wrote like a historian. Uh, so he's very into details. And so he's kind of recording what happened in the early church and, um, and kind of how it came together. So what's just happened is Jesus has um, died and been resurrected and has left his community of disciples behind. Um, he has given them um, the paraclete or the Holy Spirit who has come to comfort them, to energize them, to um, empower them for their mission of uh, letting the world know about Jesus. And there's been this like crazy chaotic event where a whole heap of people who didn't know about Jesus can suddenly came um, to find Jesus, which is really profound and difficult to explain. Basically, um, basically a whole bunch of people who had gathered for um, another festival, most of them Jews, uh, had suddenly uh, had an encounter with God in a profound way that changed how they lived the rest of their lives. And so now there's kind of this like church that sprung up and a whole bunch of the people who were in town and then, um, and then encountered Jesus kind of, uh, 
left and went back to their homes, but then a whole heap of people were left in Jerusalem, heaps of them, to try and work out what do we do with this whole thing now. Uh, Heaps of them were Jews, as I said, so most of them had this kind of like pattern of living where they went to temple every day, and temple was a huge, um, it was a central part of their life. And so uh, because Christianity sprung up out of Judaism, uh, they they continued to be Christians who attended temple, and so that was a part of their rhythm. So here's Luke trying to describe uh, what, what was going on. The fellowship of believers, in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, the, and to the, the fellowship, which is kind of like the being together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, um, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. And I assume she as well. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't it like pretty? Like it's quite quaint sounding, isn't it? Like this eclectic little community, gathering together, eating together, full of gladness. Um, a bunch of them had sold um, everything that they owned, and there was kind of like no need in the community. And it's a great like kind of picture about how well things often start out. Uh, I don't know for those of you who have experienced you know, a new relationship, and then everything's kind of rosy and nothing could possibly go wrong. And there's this, this real sense of like joy and appreciation in this, that you have to embrace this time and this season. But it's also really simple and uncomplicated. They are basically, for the Jews, are just doing what they normally did, just going to temple every day and that. And then what they added on as a church community was giving to each other, eating together in each other's homes. And um, we've talked over um, last year a little bit about how profound that whole experience of um, of people who were once separated by class and by honor systems and by race and all those kind of things were brought together in Christian community, which is incredibly beautiful. So what they started with was uh, really simple. And I, I probably just need to add to this that Luke's account, I would read as being descriptive, not prescriptive. And so what that means is that Luke is attempting to describe what was going on. I don't think that Luke was attempting to tell the rest of the church for all of future history that what happened here is exactly how we should do it. Not that we can't learn from that. I just don't think that that's the purpose of Luke's instruction here. So he's kind of just describing what was going on. Uh, so there's this beautiful, uh, s- simple thing going on, and, and it's kind of uncomplicated and really, really organic. And then uh, obviously, as time goes on, however, uh, community starts happening, and where there is community, there is conflict, and where there is community, um, if, if there's community without conflict, I think you're in a really, really troubling place. Most uh, marriage counselors will tell you that when you stop fighting as a couple, you're in big, big trouble, because when you can't even summon the passion or desire to actually engage with, with one another and have an issue and actually try and resolve something. If you can't summon that, then you're probably disengaged enough to the point where, um, where, where things aren't very healthy at all. So, so conflict and community is actually viewed negatively, but I think it can be viewed really positively as well because it's the actual negotiation and working out of how we function together. So that conflict happens in, in Act 6, and so we're going to move to Act 6. 
And I'd love it if you could hear another voice that's not mine, because I'm sick of my voice too. So would someone be able to read Acts 6 for us if I give you a microphone from verse 1 to verse 7? We just need a volunteer. Yay! Do you want to come up? Because I can't be bothered walking all the way over there. Okay, I would. I'd do it for you. Thank you. Okay. In, hang on, sorry, wrong bit. Seven, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, (laughs) Timon. Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Right. Thank you very much. Cheers. So uh, it's easy to breeze over this, but this is like this like potentially cataclysmic event in early church history. It's, it's a really big deal. Uh, there's no social welfare in um, the ancient world. So if your husband dies and he doesn't have any brothers, what, what's great is that within um, Judaism, there's this um, amazing system where if, um, if your husband dies, um, his brother will marry you and, so, um, and take care of you. <laughs> Who's excited about that? Who thinks that that would be like... <laughs> Yeah, Um, unless he's a really hot older brother. Um, Really the case. Hopefully you've married the good one of them. Yeah, Uh, not just what's left over. So uh, there's there's some systems for if, um, basically because uh, women had such little power within the ancient world, um, had such, because of that limited power, they had such a limited resource because of um, those things, um, they were also viewed as within a lower status and all these other horrible things. Um, the the, the uh, protection of widows within Scripture is incredibly strong. They are one of the um, most vulnerable people groups in the Bible because they're, in so many ways they have no capacity or ability or rights to be able to provide for themselves. And it's, complete, it's a system of complete injustice and it's completely wrong. And the Bible um, subversively tries to constantly counter this by pushing um, the people of God to to care for and look after the vulnerable and the marginalized. And so widows um, are definitely in that category where there's a sense of protection over them. So um, basically what happened is if, if, you, if a um, woman's husband died, um, the family of the husband or her family would have to try and care for them. But in many, because, you know, like life expectancy, life was incredibly vulnerable back then. So there was a lot of death. The, um, the average age of, what you, um, of when you died was far, like nearly half what it is here. Um, in, in this time. And so there's, there's a sense of like there's these really vulnerable people within the church community. And so the church organically responds to this and goes, well, there's people in need within our community and we have food and we have possessions. We'll look after them and we'll care for them. And so without anyone needing to do anything about it, 
people are just getting looked after. And um, these vulnerable widows are getting cared for and are getting food and everything's going well. Until they hit a snag that the central um, um, core of the Jerusalem community were all Jews. And, um, and, and therefore, um, part of their history was the sense of um, protection of their own and separation from the outside world. And so you've got all these Gentile um, widows and participants in the church who once upon a time the Jews would never have even sat and had a, um, had a meal with. That would have been completely um, out, out of the question. And then now they're fellowshipping with them, which is, in, is, is, is massive in the Jewish world to actually like break bread with a Gentile and to act, treat them like an equal. Um, and now all of a sudden, someone's asking them um, to support the Gentile widows. That is crazy and completely out of control. And so all the Jewish widows are getting looked after, and the Gentile widows um, are going, hey, wait a minute, like, I'm starving here. I'm not getting cared for. Am I not an equal part of this community? And so suddenly the organic response of the community just isn't enough to meet this need. And the people kind of rise up, particularly the, um, the Gentiles, and go, we're being left out here. We're supposed to be this community of equals. We're supposed to be um, in this together. We're supposed to be um, bound as one. Are we not all the body of Christ? What are we going to do about this? The, no one is actually caring for our widows. And so they bring this to the apostles who are um, facilitating and, and caring for and overseeing the church. And they bring this issue to them and they say, what are we going to do about this? So suddenly the organic response actually isn't enough in this scenario. And for some people, it's life and death. And so what needs to happen is a sense of administrative response or oversight response where the church actually organizes itself in a particular way to respond to a very real and pressing need. And so already we're getting a sense that in church life, lots of things can happen organically and some things have to happen um, administratively or organizationally or institutionally or whichever word makes you least scared. Um, so we've kind of got to marry these things. This is real in our community. As a community, we've got to decide what things do we officially do together and are administrated as a part and function of the church and what things do we hope are organically met. And this is, as our time goes on together, going to be one of our constant evolving dialogues and discussions about what is it that we actually do at, as North Fitzroy Church. So rather than give you a whole lot of answers about exactly what should happen, because I don't have a clue and I'm definitely working this out. And even if I did think I had all of the answers, my place in this community and well, no one's place in this community is to be the sole voice of input into this. I genuinely believe that this is something that um, obviously um, leadership and oversight will have to make some, someone has to make final decisions on things, but we really welcome and hope for input from our whole community about, because, you know, someone can write the check, but someone's actually going to have to pay the money. And what we recognize in this community is, is that if we commit to something as a community, it's all of us who are responsible for that commitment. And we, as a community, we can't separate ourselves from that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw in a few thoughts and ideas in the next five or so minutes. And then um, and, and hopefully that'll help shape how we think about how we think about church. So when you gather a community like this together, you get um, we are a crowd, but we're individuals. We're the body of Christ, but we're also separate people with separate stories. Um, we are a mass of individual hopes, dreams, passions, 
and needs. The first thought that I'm going to throw out is this whole idea of gathered and scattered. And we've talked about gathered and scattered a few times in church before, but we'll try and play catch up for those of you who weren't around. Uh, So the idea of gathered and scattered is that the church functions in two kind of ways. Uh, One, the church functions, if the church is people, we function in a particular way when we are together, but then we also function in a particular way when we are away from each other. And that what we do when we are together is great and good, but that's not all of church life. All of church life is the sum total of every single life within our church community. And so what we need to work out is um, we can't follow each other home because that's creepy. So we all live in, <laughs> and we don't want to start a commune because that usually just ends up in intermarriage and some kind of weird suicide pact. So we're not going there. So we have to live separate lives and we should live separate lives in that we've all got things to do and lives to live. And so we're part of this communal body, but we also live um, these individual lives of purpose as well. So when we're gathered, we need to work out what we what things we do in our gathering. And so I would call gathering um, the sense of inhale, the sense of um, rejuvenation, the sense of common purpose, that we're actually here to remind each other of who God is, of God's action in history, that we're to remind each other of who we are together and remind each other of the value of each person individually and separately. So that's part of our gathered community. But then we've also got, all got lives going on, and that's our scattered life. And things of value happen in our scattered life as well, things that are central to the Christian story. So I need a scribe who can write fast, and it doesn't have to be neatly. Can we, is anyone happy to be a scribe? Yeah, thanks, Nicola. I also don't like writing on whiteboards because I'm really conscious from years of watching teachers write on whiteboards that your bum wiggles when you're writing. So... Yeah, don't even think about that, though. Yeah, good. But I thought it was appropriate that we got a better-looking bottom than mine. Um, so, so gather community. So what I want to do here is just throw out a bunch of ideas of, of things that churches have done that you like. So programs, events, activities that churches as gathered communities have done in your history that you think are a cool idea. So you can start yelling at us now, and uh, we'll write them up as fast as we can. Soup kitchen, great. And that's it. Excellent. Well done. Give yourselves a clap. No. Um, cool. What else? Alpha. Cool. <laughs> food. Yeah, cool. Just food in general? Yep. Food. Yep. Cool. Art exhibitions. Rad. Yep. What else? We can put music up there. There's lots of music happening. Yep. <laughs> I'm not coming up with all the ideas. Youth stuff. Yep. Teaching. Cool. Yep. Definitely teaching. Yep. Anything at all? Support. Cool. Like like pastoral kind of like. Yep. Yep. Rad. Mums and tot stuff. Yeah. Don't know what a tot is, but yeah. Um, I assume it's a small lolly. Yeah. Mums and... T- <laughs> Some mums here would like that. Yep. Need your help here. I'm struggling. Yeah, single parents alone together. Yep. That's um from about a boy. Yeah. Yep. Come on, some of our church legacy people who have been around, who have been around for a long time. What some other things that churches have done? 
Social activities, yep. Ten pin bowling nights, great. What's that? Evergreens. Oh, like um, like aged care or um, social stuff for aged people. Yep. Awesome. Still waiting for one from Paul, Paul Kulchok. Yeah, cool. The opportunity to meet other people. Rad. <laughs> Join a leaf. Um, dance groups for children. Yeah. What's that? Discipleship stuff. Yep. Rad. Awesome, Daphne. Bible studies, excellent. Okay, cool. That'll probably do us enough. Okay, cool. I still need your help. Scattered community. What are, what are some of the roles or functions or things that you do in your life that are meaningful and important to you? So it could be your job or a particular role you play in a family or um, an activity that you do. What's that? Being a friend. Awesome. Beautiful. It, uh, being a friend. Just because she's a Kiwi. Don't start. Don't start. Don't, don't even start. Yeah. I didn't start when it sounded like Leanne said providing for the weirdos instead of widows. So if, if I can hold back, everybody can. Cool. Being a friend. Other roles or jobs or you can actually name your job if if you want hospitality awesome beautiful yep exercise lovely you should probably do some yep school pickups excellent can we put that under parenting as well can we check parenting up there important role yeah being a family member probably really matters who was that yeah, taxi driving the kids, brilliant. Yeah. Um, who's got a job that um, means something to them? Cool. Painting. Painting, excellent. Teaching, beautiful. Deb? Sewing, yeah, excellent. Going to school, brilliant. It being, being educated, excellent. What else? <laughs> Mentoring, lovely. Excellent. Okay, cool. That's probably enough for our list for the moment. Cheers. So, our scattered lives run deep and are important. And I'd argue that um, an essential expression of discipleship is just living a normal life in a Jesus-like manner that whatever we do is incredibly spiritual because it should be an expression of the kingdom of God. It should be an expression and a response to uh, what God has done in our lives, that not just what we do, but the way we do it is actually incredibly important that as disciples that we prioritize that, that being scattered, going back to our separate lives and living as ambassadors of Jesus is central to what it is to being a Christian. And some of these things that are small, small words are actually incredibly consuming of energy. Being a friend or being a parent or having a job actually take up huge portions of our lives and, need, and those, those functions need to be honored by the church as being spiritual and holy, and necessary, and central to who we are, and what our story is. 
this is our danger, <laughs> that if our gathered community and our sense of organized activity becomes so large and so cumbersome and so consuming, eventually it can choke out and deprioritize the actual thing that we're trying to gather for, which is to go out and live meaningful lives that reflect Jesus and that are transformed by him. And eventually what happens when um, you reach this kind of tipping point in church communities where what's going on in the structured, administered um, functions of church life takes so much face time and so much um, emphasis and um, we need to gather more people into them that you get this kind of like avalanche effect where it just fills up, fills up, fills up, fills up. And then suddenly the most important thing that we do as a church is anything that we do together as a church. And I kind of want to resist that really strongly to say that what we do when we gather is so central and so important, but it shouldn't be all-consuming. That our, it, What it should be there to do is to release us to be effective in living the lives that God's called us to live on the outside. And we need to stop despiritualizing and stop de-emphasizing the mundane, everyday things which should be transforming the world around us but that those things are actually incredibly central. And that if our gathered activity, if we try and do everything that is possibly a good thing to do, eventually it takes focus and emphasis off what we're actually trying to do, which is to live lives that reflect Jesus in the everyday. And so we can make it look like we're doing all these things for other people. But in actual fact, it can be very easy to let this system dislocate, dislocate us from the rest of the world around us and actually stop us from living amongst people, which I think is really central and really matters. So that's the idea of gathered and scattered. The second um, is um, about the, how the service industry has changed our view of the church. This is thinking about how we think about church. I read an article a long time ago which really shaped my thinking, and it was a really interesting little reflection about how in the 1960s, uh, 1950s and 60s in America, the service industry just went bananas. Um, Post-World War II, there was tons of money in the economy. Um, suddenly, people had room for um, extra resources and things that they were just comparatively rich because of the post-war economy. If you want to read a really good book on this, um, Bill Bryson, who writes some great travel books, writes this book called The Life and Times of the Thunderbolt Kid. And it's just about, about how incredibly overwhelmingly awesome growing up in 1950s America was because technology was booming. Um, they had like all these brand new things and um, people could afford stuff they could never afford before. He talked about like they discovered x-ray machines and the first use of x-ray machines, they didn't really know what to do with them because it was just this brilliant new technology that came out of the war. And so they used x-rays for everything. So they had like um, x-ray an x-ray toilet seat cleaner and so it would it would like spin the toilet seat around once you'd used it and zap the toilet seat with x-rays to kill the germs they hadn't worked out that it was quite dangerous at that point um they use an x-ray machine to measure your feet in a shoe store just to see how long they were rather than a ruler because it's new technology which of course probably gave a lot of people cancer um so yeah exciting times but one of the things that happened is that suddenly people could outsource a whole of their lives and so people who were once busy mowing their lawns suddenly had a job where they're doing something else where they earned more money and it meant that they could hire someone in to mow their lawns. And then it's like, oh, I don't want to do my washing anymore, so I'll send it away to a dry cleaner. And now I can afford to get a housemaid in to do this, and I can get a private tutor for my child. And 
what happened in American, particularly in American um, um, European churches, is that um, is that people's perception of the role of the church changed from being a community I participate in to a service that's provided for me. And so this particularly impacted children's church because once upon a time, the family was the central place of nurture for children of, and particularly the central place of spiritual nurture for Christian children. But then suddenly children's church started as a function within church and parents' view because of the way they viewed the service model became that it's the church's job to spiritually nurture my children. And you think, that sounds a bit crazy, but I used to be a youth pastor and look after children's church stuff. I got a phone call one day from, from a mum to say, I was like, uh, hello? He said, hello. I'd like you to pick up my child after school. <laughs> and I was like, oh, is something wrong? And she goes, yes. You think he's a really good little boy, and he's not at all. He's actually not making his bed in the mornings, and I'd like you to talk to him about it. To which I wanted to ask, have you had a paternity test? Because I'm pretty sure I'm not the father. Um, but I didn't, because I'm um, gracious. But they're, they're, I'm not at all. Um, but there's, there was, in, in her head, there was this perception that because something was wrong that she couldn't fix, it was the church's job to sort that out because we had some sense of care. And it's an easy trap to get stuck into. But what we can do is we can easily dehumanize the church and make it into an institution and perceive it as an object or an other that is there to meet particular needs and not actually take responsibility for the fact that the church does have an administrative function, but is primarily an organic community that responds to the needs within it. And we have to be really careful that we don't view the church as a service to provide and meet for needs, because we end up in this trap where we see it as a magic machine of infinite resources. And one of the, I guess, the um, sayings that I heard so often in church life in my last um, church experience was the church should. When is the church going to do something about this? The church should really be doing this. And the church should be, do- why isn't someone doing that? Um, and the, the view that came tagged with that is that there's this magic infinite resource um, that will somehow leprechaun away um, all of our greatest needs if only someone would get off their bottom and do it. And why isn't the church doing it? And I guess what grieves me in that is a sense of dislocation, that there's an idea that there's something that exists outside of the people inside this place, that, that there's this magic limitless resource um, that should be doing something about all these problems that I can't fix and you can't fix and you can't fix. And I think we have to be really careful to not objectify the church uh, as if there's this magic resource available that no one's using, but instead take responsibility and look amongst ourselves to respond to and meet needs wherever possible, that the church isn't primarily a service. It is primarily a community which looks a lot like you and unfortunately also like me. So this is, I guess, my ethic, and this is what I'm going to suggest as a way of thinking about how we think about church that where possible, as, as a church, we should attempt to foster a community that meets needs. And where that's not possible, 
we administrate a structure to meet those needs. That our bent is always towards fostering a community that meets needs, and where that's not possible, like the church in Acts, we administrate a function. But we think very carefully about what we choose to administrate because that eventually becomes resource that doesn't go into scattered living. Does that make sense? Cool. That's, I guess, my ethic on a potential way forward. We've got communion on our tables. Um, If you could distribute it amongst your table, that'd be really beautiful. That won't be very hard for you, Ross. Yeah, you you sorted? I can help you if you like. Okay, cool. Good, good. Excellent. When you're holding this, I just want you to think about the body of Christ. I want you to think about every other person who's holding a piece of cracker in this room right now. And every other person who's holding a piece of juice. You can't have a piece of juice, a cup of juice. (laughs) Freeze it, then cut it. Um, That it's all of our pieces of cracker and all of our juices together. Rephrase that. It's all of our cups of juice and all of our pieces of cracker together that makes communion, that makes the body of Christ. Why don't you just close your eyes for just a moment? God, we are thankful for our part in this place. And we're also thankful for the part of every other person who plays a role within this church. Lord, help us to be sensitive to the needs within this community and the needs outside. And help us to value our time and our space together but also help us to see our responsibility to encourage and equip each other for life when we're not together. We're thankful for each other, and we are thankful that the church is not some big machine, but is a gathering of weak and strong and broken and whole people together, hopefully reflecting you in some way. Let's eat and drink together. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood and your body that brought us all together in the first place. We love you. Amen.